been working Know them working Hello and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast, a production of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance and MuniNetworks.org. This is Lisa Gonzalez. In our 18th episode, Christopher Mitchell talks with Dwayne Hendricks, CEO of Tetherless Access. Dwayne has been actively involved in telecommunications for decades. Dwayne's work has contributed to the foundation of what we now consider wireless networks, and he continues to push the envelope. Dwayne and Chris have an enlightening conversation about the potential of wireless. As part of their discussion, they touch on how so much potential has been lost, mostly because Washington, D.C. is heavily influenced by powerful corporate broadcasters and huge telcos. This is an interesting discussion that you won't hear anywhere else. Let's listen. Dwayne Hendricks, thank you for coming on Community Broadband Bits. You're the CEO of Tetherless Access and a broadband cowboy now for 10 years. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? I got my amateur radio license when I was 13. I don't know what people know about amateur radio or also known as ham radio. It allowed me to uh, really learn radio from people. My mentors were people that were in the signal corps in World War II. So they really knew how to do radio. And um, so I got used to being able to talk to anywhere on the planet that I wanted to. And under the amateur radio rules, you can basically build and deploy your own equipment. And as long as you stay within amateur radio uh, spectrum, then you can do anything effectively. You don't have to ask the FCC for permission. So, for instance, with the class of amateur radio license I have, which is Amateur Extra, I can actually put a satellite up into orbit and operate it, okay, without asking the FCC for permission for the transmitters and stuff up in that satellite. And hams have done that. So that gives you an example of, it's like, like I said, you can do anything. So as a result, people like me have really a different view of wireless than people like you who use Wi-Fi. Right, and actually, just I think also, you're, you're sort of a line of defense, right? If uh, we had a major national emergency and the, and the telecommunication lines went down, um, you, the amateur radio are a backbone of, to provide communication services. Is that right? Uh, that's right, yeah. Uh, we've done that for almost 100 years. I mean, amateur radio has been around for almost 100 years. So I carry what's called a handy talkie with me all the time that's charged up that allows me to... Uh, plug into the local emergency infrastructure wherever I am. You, you've you been involved in a lot of different broadband projects. Maybe I can just start by uh, actually asking you to talk a little bit about one that you are particularly interested in um, or one that really um, intrigued you. My commercial career, I was uh, co-founder and CEO of a company back in 1990 called Tetherless Access. And Tetherless's mission was to deploy metropolitan area um internet broadband, okay? And we use spread spectrum radios that we built ourselves, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, we started in 1990. Uh, if you can imagine that time frame, our business plan or what we were trying to do, people thought we were nuts, okay? So it took until about 1994 before we were able to raise any venture capital money, Okay. So uh, Tetherless actually went public on NASDAQ in 1996. Uh, stock symbol was TALW. And at this high point, it had a market cap of $400 million. And we had installations in China, all, all over the world, okay, mm-hmm. of these spread spectrum radios. Uh, 
And then two years after we went public, we were gone. Okay. Because <laughs> a lot of the wireless companies that of the 90s basically disappeared by 2000. All right. Mm -hmm. so one of the last ones being Metricom and their Ricochet system. Uh, a lot of people don't know about Ricochet. We, Metricom and my company were one of the two public companies of that period. I think there were a few more, but none of us survived into 2000. So let me let me take a step back for a second because this is a history I'm not all that familiar with. You were obviously involved with this long before most people ever heard of the internet, um, started using email. What? Let's just start with uh, spread spectrum. Just a five second answer. What is spread spread spectrum? Mm. It's a wideband modulation method that uh, was classified until the mid 70s, and then the FCC mounted an effort to uh, get under the Carter administration to get rules in place to allow spread spectrum to be used in the commercial services. What you can do with spread spectrum is something called spectrum overlay, where you can overlay existing signals like TV or land mobile radio and not cause them interference. Oh, okay. So that's, I think that's sort of the key that I was looking for was the, the lack of interference. That's always been the issue of spread, spread spectrum that intrigued me the most, I think. The ability to share a resource. Exactly. Like. During the Carter administration, which you remember is the late uh, 70s, um, the government had run out of spectrum. I mean, here's this litany all the time. We have a spectrum <laughs> crisis. We have a spectrum crisis. Every chairman of the FCC has the same line, you know, that they just dig up an, over and over again. And it's never-ending. Um, so uh, during the current administration, they brought a guy in uh, called Chuck Ferris, who was the chairman of the FCC at the time, and he brought in a uh, ex-DARPA director that had what was called the Office of um, Science, uh, Science and Technology, okay, now, right now, it's called the Office of Engineering and Technology. You see the difference? Right. Science and technology, mm -hmm. engineering and technology. And they brought a lot of scientists and engineers into the FCC to do interesting things. So at that time, the FCC actually worked with industry uh, to run experiments. They did spread spectrum experiments. They commissioned the MITRE Corporation to do a study on how this spread spectrum technology could be used as a new spectrum management tool, okay? Right. And that led to a notice of inquiry being released in 1981, which was when the Reagan administration was in power, which they proposed essentially taking the entire radio spectrum and turning it into an open comments. No bands, nothing, just an open comments. Using spread spectrum, you could go anywhere, okay? Mm-hmm. So think about that. That was a very radical proposal for the time to get rid of the property model that had been in use since the commission was formed in uh, 1934. Right. It's 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 a fascinating approach. I mean, we have a few bands that operate under that model, um, but it's pretty limited, right? Yeah. Well, what happened was in 1984 they put out rules, okay, and they were. Um, there were a few bands that were excluded or parts of the spectrum were excluded for radio astronomy, for instance. But the NTIA signed off on this FCC proposal. And, you know, uh, notice proposal rulemaking is when you're basically saying, here's the, what the law is going to be. OK. Mm -hmm. Now, in that one year from 81, 84 to 85, 
it got cut down into the part 15 rules that you know today with the three little bands. Mm-hmm. People don't know this history, but if you look, read that 1984 NPRM and say, wow, if this had happened, oh, everything would be different. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you got to understand, I, I was part of that effort then. Okay. Cause amateur radio played a big part of that because we, a lot of spread spectrum radios were built and deployed by hams to show that you could overlay existing services and not cause them harm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. All right. And if you look at what's happened with unlicensed, you know, part 15, where, uh, you know, there was going to be this tragedy of the commons and, you know, all this crap that never happened. Right. Okay. Well, uh, think about radios that use real spread spectrum because what we, we moved away from spread spectrum. 802.11 was B was spread spectrum, was direct sequence spread spectrum. Right. And for people that are unfamiliar, that's uh, one of the protocols for Wi-Fi. That was the early Wi-Fi. All right. And then we moved away from that to this OFDM modulation method, which is not spectrum overlay. Okay. So um, now we have this same spectrum crisis because we haven't changed the model like they tried to do uh, starting with the Carter administration. So uh, now they're talking about, uh, you know, white spaces and dynamic sharing and stuff like that. But if you look at the contest historically with what they were trying to do with that 1981 NOI, what they're proposing now is a pale shadow of that bold stroke. Right now, for instance, televisions and the television broadcasters, it's a very dumb system, right? They sort of get this swath of spectrum, this this like territory that they basically have exclusive control over so they don't have to worry about anyone else doing anything. So they have very dumb transmitters and receivers. Is that is that fair? That's correct. And so what you're proposing is not that we reserve these different areas of our spectrum, of which there's a limited amount effectively um, when you use it in that manner. But instead, you have receivers and transmitters, which is really the same thing, I guess, transceivers, right? That transceivers, yes. They're, they're smart, and they understand not to talk over each other. Well, but it goes further than that. It uses waveforms, okay, these wideband waveforms that have a – uh, essentially, a, a low power spectral density. And that, think of it, you know what the noise floor is, okay? Well, these systems operate under the noise floor. So, to a conventional receiver or transceiver, they would look like noise. Okay. That's spectrum overlay. Okay, so the, so what you're talking about now is that you can even hide yourself so you're not even disturbing the existing yes. dumb yes. systems. Yes. Spreading means you spread your power spectral density over a wide swath of the spectrum. Okay. Conventional narrowband transmitters put it all in a very small piece of spectrum. Okay. You see? And is there a distance limitation to that then? No. Okay, you just, you're just able to do it because you're spreading it over such a wider area. Right. One way to think of spread spectrum is like it's like cryptography. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that think of public key cryptography. So a spread spectrum signal, basically, you take a data stream and you encrypt it and with a key, with a, you know, and this spreading process or this encrypting process spreads out the signal because essentially you're taking one data stream and mixing it with another, and the product of that is a much larger data stream. Okay. okay? 
And so you're spreading this over a wide swath of spectrum. So the way to receive that is you use the same key you use to encrypt the data stream mm -hmm. and you decrypt it. And what happens is the signal comes out of the noise. Got it? It's like right. it's, it appears because you applied the right key and now you're looking at all that, all that energy and it essentially correlates. And boom, there it is. In the meantime, you're not stopping anyone else from communicating or transmitting. Yes. And so why, isn't, why hasn't this become common practice in, over the years? Politics. <laughs> the reason for everything, right? <laughs> well, unfortunately, yes. I mean, um, what happened in that 84 to 85, that one-year period, is that, you see, once the federal government goes to the NPRM stage, that means they're putting rules out. And so all the opposition came out of the woodwork, mm -hmm. okay? National Association of Broadcasters. Think about it. Because look at the public policy issues. It's a, they had this property they had been given by the government, and now, uh, okay, I have a little parable that, to, to, that will give you this. It's like, okay, let's look at the current auction scheme where companies buy Spectrum, okay? Right. So let's just pick, say, AT&T goes and buys some Spectrum for $4 billion, okay? And they're going to use this spectrum to deliver services, okay? Now, and, and they think they have exclusive use of that spectrum, all right? Mm -hmm. Well, I come along with this new spread spectrum technology, and I can essentially operate over their spectrum and not cause them inter any interference. And I can offer the same services and compete with them, and my business model is different because I didn't have to pay $4 billion for the spectrum. Right. I just had to invest in my spread spectrum technology radios. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, so AT&T looks at this and say, hey, we're losing money to these guys. Okay? And they go to the FCC and say, these guys are using our property. You got to do something about it. So the FCC sends their measurement trucks out, and they do all these measurements and stuff. And they come back to AT&T and say, well, look, by the law, we can only act when there's interference. Okay. We don't see any interference. Right. Okay. So we can't do anything. Okay. <laughs> We're sorry. So AT&T says, well, you know, damn well, they're using our property. That's not right. We right. paid for this. So they go to their Congress critters and say, look, we want our money back. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting our clock cleaned by these guys. All right. So the Congress critters go to the FCC and say, look, you know, you got to put a stop to this because we can't return the money because we already spent it. And the FCC says, look, we can only, essentially, we're an enforcement agency and we can only enforce the laws that you pass. Right. And the laws say that there's nothing we can do because we can't show interference. Mm -hmm. So the Congress says, well, gee, that's not right in the FCC. because So look at the public policy issue. Who's right in that? AT&T in good faith paid $4 billion for the spectrum, but in terms of innovation and stuff, okay, I'm deploying this new technology, mm -hmm. and I, I can reuse that spectrum efficiently, okay? Who's right? But you see the nature of the public policy issue? That is why this hasn't happened. Fundamentally, it seems like the biggest issue is that we still think of spectrum as we understood it before Hedy Lamarr came up with the spread spectrum ideas. I mean, it's a long, long time ago, right? Yes. Um, but the, our, our way of thinking about how to deal with this in policy, it seems like it has not changed 
because there's this perception that if we were to move forward with a new paradigm in which we could all benefit from using the spectrum, that would somehow be unfair to those who have already been using it in the way that they had been because they had Bingo. paid money for it. Even though, I mean, I, I run into this all the time, you know, it's not like AT&T um, – it's not like they're losing somehow. Ultimately, they they made a ton of money off of that, right? Sure, they paid four billion dollars, but they probably made ten. And so, in my mind, it's a loser of an argument for them to complain that somehow it's unfair that there's new technologies that allow us all to be better off. To you, it might be that way. <laughs> well, <laughs> indeed, I'm not a shareholder of AT&T, to my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's a very difficult public policy issue. But what it does is essentially it freezes innovation. And you see this at the commission. Companies come in, white squared, all these other companies with you know, great technology, and they go through a rulemaking process that can take 10 years. Do you see a path forward for changing this? What's the, what's the best mechanism we have for uh, having uh, a world in which wireless is uh, better suited for all of us to use efficiently? In our current crony capitalism uh, form of government, it's tough to, to plot any, uh, you know, look at Larry Lessig and his root strikers, you know. Right. You put all, everything goes into the same bucket. We have a problem with crony capitalism. The 1% owns the government and, uh, and they do what they want. So the rest of us to try to move things forward, we've got to change the system. Now, how we could, Larry hasn't figured it out, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to be difficult. But I, I do have a way to move it forward. This is a big planet. There's a lot of governments, okay? And for instance, I own a telecom company in the kingdom of Tonga. And in Tonga, I can use the radio spectrum any way I want, okay? Right. So what you do is you go to other countries that, uh, that are more receptive to innovation, and you deploy these technologies. And uh, there would be smaller markets, but you can make money in smaller markets delivering services with these innovative technologies, okay? Mm -hmm. You can have essentially a system. Now, how you change things here is you can deploy in Tonga, make money, okay? Not, not run an experiment or whatever. You actually make money commercially. And you can go to the Congress here and say, hey, look, these people in Booga Booga have technology that make us look in comparison like cave people. Right. Okay? You know? And if we don't change our rules, we're just going to fall further and further behind to these other parts of the world. Now, if that dollars and cents argument doesn't affect change in our system, nothing else will. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's not just a matter of proving that technology works, but it's 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 creating an uh, incentive for uh, people like me who wouldn't otherwise know about that technology to say to my Congress critter, as you call him or her, um, to say, look, I know that this technology is out there. Other countries have it. It's working terrifically. Why can't we do that here in the United States? Yes. So I have a plan that I'm working with several other people, which is under the amateur radio rules, I can deploy this technology here in the United States now. Okay. And we're going to do that, okay? We have a project that I'm really not at liberty to talk about that is going to build new kinds of radios that use these new waveforms. And it's all going to be about demonstrating. It'll be open source, open hardware, you know, like the creative. It'll be a Creative Commons style kind of project. And uh, we can do it under the amateur radio rules, and we can provide existence proofs 
that this stuff works. What will these radios do? Well, they would do spectrum overlay. They would be able to use the entire radio spectrum. Think of them as smart radios that treat the spectrum like an open commons, like they're like cattle in the on the open range. And the open range is a spectrum. And so would I be able to hook my computer to that, for instance, to talk to other computers? Yes. And so that's one of the goals, obviously, then would be to say, um, you know, we can we can do this right now under existing laws using this method. Right. So what we're doing is like, um, like, for instance, Isaac Wilder, who's the head of the Free Network Foundation effort, has just gotten his amateur radio license. Okay. So now he can participate in this project and run these radios and, you know, quite legally in the, in the United States. So once you have the existence proof and you show people what you can do, you see, then you can go to your Congress critter and say, hey, look, this stuff works. Let me show you. Come on over here. We'll show you what it works. And you do it on the community level. This is going to be a grassroots kind of thing. Right. So this will be like redoing community networking a la, you know, what Evan Moglin's been talking about. You know, that's where you start. It's like you go back to the original idea of the Internet, which was local, you know. Right. Well, actually, it even seems like it's more fundamental going back to the original idea of radio, where originally the idea people had this, uh, everyone would have a radio and they'd be able to talk to each other. And yes. it wasn't this idea of a few commercial broadcasters dominating the spectrum. Bingo. Exactly. So it's like we go back to the past and we turn a different corner. So if I if I have a, if I'm in a community um, somewhere and I'm saying, wow, I'd really like to start getting involved with this word. Where, where do I go to learn more about it? When we're ready to be vocal, uh, I mean, come out in the public, we will. But it'll, it's like about six months to a year away. Okay, but you also mentioned the Free Network Foundation. Seems like it might be a a good place. They're out now, and you can go because what they're they're uh, offering is radios that are based on Wi-Fi. Okay. With these principles, you know what a uh, uh, autonomous network is? That's an internet term. Basically. Right. Um, you run a certain routing protocol like BGP, and you create what's called an autonomous network. Okay. Any ISP operates an autonomous network. Right. And then you connect your network to other networks via routers. So what the Free Network Foundation is about is making it possible for everybody to run their own autonomous network. Okay, so like my neighborhood could have our, our autonomous network then. Yeah. If you're able, but you have different people that have different skill sets, mm -hmm. there will be different kinds of devices that operate under this um, cloud, let's say, and that some of them won't be autonomous, but uh, others will be. And you see, so it's like building the internet for the like it was in the beginning, where the internet is independently owned and operated networks who talk a common language, TCP, IP, and they route packets. According to the old principle of you route my packets, I route your packets. Right. I don't charge you. You don't charge me. Right. It's a it's a fundamentally different thing than I think what a lot of people are used to, which is they think of it as just something they get from Comcast or or um, some other pro commercial provider. But really, it's just about having a network that talks to other networks. Yes. And you see, and then you build up. You see. You build the local communities and you connect to other communities and you see how it goes. But now people will get a sense of what the Internet really is. It's not the web. Okay? Right, right, right. It's not just something you access with your browser. You can do all kinds of different things.
So I guess what we're saying is that we've got a grassroots education effort to go to, to get underway. Okay. I mean, that's how revolutions start. You know, they start small, you know, you got to turn people into revolutionaries, you know, mm -hmm. and that can be hard, but you do it by showing them real stuff. You just don't talk about it. You do it. Right. And actually, I would even take maybe a little bit of issue. I mean, fundamentally, if you show people stuff, they get incited about it and they find out they can't do it under the present rules. That's what turns them into revolutionaries. <laughs> Let me ask you one last question that's very easy. What is with your Twitter handle? I'm curious where it comes from. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Okay. It's my amateur radio call sign. Oh, okay. I was trying to figure out if it was uh um it's uh, well it's what W A eight Z U P D Z P okay W A eight D Z U P yeah now that's a uh, that was given to me by the FCC and actually by treaty it's an international identifier nobody else on the planet can use that those characters okay okay. So you don't have to worry about anyone taking your Twitter handle from you then, huh? That's right. Excellent. Well, I really encourage people to follow you on Twitter. You come up with all kinds of interesting stuff. Uh, and you also have a, a newsletter that I know is widely read. Um, is, it, is that an invite only or is that something people can subscribe well, to? No, it's not. It's just that, um, yeah, it's just let me know you want to be. It's like Dave Farber's uh, interesting people list. Just let me know you want to get on it and it's fine. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Uh, take care, Chris. Good talking to you. Yep. Have a great one. That was Christopher talking to Dwayne Hendricks of Tetherless Access. Dwayne keeps us up to date on regulatory information from his website, warpspeed.com. You can read several articles about spectrum recommended to us by Dwayne from our website, muninetworks.org. The Myth of Interference by David Weinberger and False Scarcity by Paul Barron come highly recommended. If you have any questions or comments, email us directly at podcast at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at communitynets. This show was released on October 23, 2012. Thanks to Fit in the Conniptions for the music licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Got My Modem Working. Yep, 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 yep,